And he said, I listened to y'all show. He said, I would like to hire y'all to do something. He said, but I'm going to need your partner, Alex. I don't think that your Southern accent will go over up here, but I love it. He said, but uh, can you have him do it for us? I, I said, yeah. I said, just send me the check. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it totally. I mean, we have, I'm telling you, it's the smartest thing we ever did. Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. I'm here with the co-founder and CEO of the Next Move Group, Chad Chancellor. Chad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm sure that lots of our listeners are familiar with you and the Next Move Group, but why don't you give us the you know, the elevator pitch for the Next Move Group? Sure. So Next Move Group basically exists to create economic growth for small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations. So we, uh, we really have a passion, and I can tell you why, but we, we have a passion for those small to mid-sized entities, some of which are in big cities. So it's not that, it's not that we don't do work in, uh, in big cities like Houston and New Orleans and so forth, but we really like to do work with the small to mid-sized nonprofits. So we have re- basically four different service offerings. We have small to mid-sized manufacturers uh, find locations for facilities. Uh, so our typical site selection project is, you know, 50 to 100,000 square feet, 50 to 100 jobs, not the big mega projects. Uh, but we also help uh, economic development organizations, chambers, cities, counties, ports, you know, all these type of entities, hire uh, CEOs. And then we have a whole marketing and training component um, that we provide for economic development organizations with a real target to the small to mid-sized ones. And so the reason for our focus on small to mid-sized, when I was a kid, I was raised in a little rural town in Mississippi. And my dad was one of 10 kids. And he and his twin brother and my aunt and uncle, both, all four worked at a Sunbeam blanket factory in my little hometown. And overnight, the plant got shut down and all the jobs got shipped to China when I was about nine years old. So it wasn't just my dad lost his job. They all lost it. So uh, then uh, I got my first job working in Mobile, Alabama for the Mobile Chamber in an unprecedented time of success. I was the low man on the totem pole. So the success wasn't because of me, but I was there and I saw it when we landed the Airbus airplane project in Mobile and Krupp Steel. And so I saw how... And Mobile's not a big city. I'd call it a mid-sized city. But I saw how a real fine economic development organization works. And I thought to myself, we ought to take some of these principles and help the small towns. But then later on, I met Alex Metzger, who's our other co-founder, and his family were all entrepreneurs. See, I was raised rural and poor. His fa- he was raised, you know, silver spoon in his mouth, a country club kid. And his family had meat processing facilities in southern Illinois. Uh, still to this day, if you go up there anywhere close to St. Louis and you say, have you ever heard of Metzger meats? Uh, they will say, yes. They, uh, well, when Walmart come along, got into groceries, it put them out of business. So he has a real passion to help the small to mid-sized companies, you know, be able to compete in today's, in today's market. So that's really the, the why behind why we really focus on those small to mid-sized type of organizations. Gotcha. So how, how did you and Alex, you know, first get connected? Well, I got hired to run the economic development organization in Paducah, Kentucky. 
And uh, I always, when I got to a town, like to hire a young, which I say young, I'm 39 now. At the time, I was 28. <laughs> so I was young at the time. But uh, so I ran two organizations, Lawrenceburg, Tennessee Chamber of Commerce and Paducah, Kentucky Economic Development. And, and uh, what I found is when you inherit a staff, I always like to find me somebody young um, who was smart and sharp that I could hire and train how I wanted that would be totally loyal to me. I'd have no worries about were they loyal to the previous person, this person, that that was my model. It worked for me both places tremendously well. So Alex was the guy I hired to be my vice president in Paducah. And so we had worked together for four years in Paducah uh, doing economic development. And uh, I told him one day that I had this business idea. And I just didn't see why we couldn't replicate this success in multiple small communities. And he said that uh, just what I said, he said, you know, I'm interested in helping small to mid-sized companies. And so we just started kind of comparing notes. And he comes from a whole entrepreneurial family. His dad even owned Chuck E. Cheese pizzas. I mean, so he come from a whole entrepreneurial family, whereas I came from the economic development side. So we kind of started comparing notes. And uh, next thing you know, we started the company. So that's how it worked. But it was good for us because we had worked together for four years. So uh, we didn't start, you know, we never had any friction of like who does what. I mean, I had been his boss. And so even though now in this business, we're partners. I own the majority, but I try to treat him as an equal partner. We've, we've never had any... We had worked together four years prior to this. So in the last seven years, we've never had any trouble like who does what. We already knew that when we started. So what do you do and what does he do? Uh, basically, now I'm our big picture person. And then I want to make sure that the quality of, uh, quality control is good. So I, I tell people I pitch the first inning and the ninth inning, if you think of baseball. I, I make the sale. I start it off. And then I want to make sure that when the ninth inning rolls around that I come in and close the deal, whatever it is we've sold, whether it's an executive search or site select, whatever it is, I want to make sure the quality is good. He oversees the second through the eighth innings. So he's kind of very much our day-to-day -day operations manager, and I'm sort of our big-picture person. Of course, now we got seven employees, so we can do it that way. When we started out, we just both had to do whatever we could do because it was only two of us. So, so when you start out, you know, you're everything. But, uh, but now uh, we were lucky. Goldman Sachs picked us for a small business accelerator program in 2017. That was our big break. They picked us. Uh, in the Obama administration, they got in trouble back in the subprime lending crisis. And their penance was they would train 10,000 small businesses to accelerate. These were not for startups. You had to have at least 500000 in revenue, whatever. You, you had to be a going business, you know. And they chose us for that, thanks to the New Orleans Economic Development people. They, they recommended us. And uh, they really taught us that any functioning organization has to have three different thinking-type people in order to be good, whether it's a one person or whether it's Walmart running a billion dollars. You know, you got to – they said you got to have technical people who can do the technical work. You've got to have management people who can manage and you've got to have an entrepreneur thinker and you got to have all three. And if you're in one person shop, you've got to do all three of those things. And, and they even taught us that the Walmarts and the big companies get in trouble if they lose their entrepreneurial thinker. So, he, he, you know, no matter how big you get, you need an entrepreneurial thinker. So the light bulb went off in my mind. I used to be our entrepreneurial thinker and our technical person because I know how to do all the economic development. Well, I had to make the sale and do the work. And, and as I did this Goldman Sachs stuff, I realized we need to hire smart people that can come in here and do this technical work. And so as we've done that, basically, I've become our entrepreneur 
Alex has become our manager and we now have employees to do our technical work. So, and now our employees are getting good enough. We're able to pull them up a level. So, you know, we hired a Brandon and Gabby on our team as as technicians. They've now learned our business so well, we're moving in to be managers and hiring people under them. So that's kind of the level that we're moving up. That makes perfect sense. And I think that that goes right into my next question. 2020 is, it seemed like a pretty good year for you, you know, despite everything else that's happened. Um, you know, what's, what's changed the next move group in, in 2020? Uh, 2020 was the best year we ever had. We were up in 2020, roughly uh, 30% over 2019 and 2021 year to date, we're up another 20% this year. And so, um, I don't mind sharing it with you. We're friends and I don't mind your people hearing it, but I do hesitate to say that because so many businesses were so you almost feel guilty because so many businesses, you know, like the restaurants were so terribly hurt. And so absolutely, I guess through this thing, there were winners and losers and we were very fortunate to be winners. So uh, early on it, it hit about March and we were lucky coming into the pandemic. So we do executive searches for economic developers as one of our services. And we coming into it, we had probably five or 10, we would do it. So we had to finish those up, which gave us cash flow, you know, for a month or two, March and April, because we'd already sold those deals. We'd already interviewed the people, but now you got to hire them, which triggers another payment, all of that. So we had cash coming in. So we, we felt sorry for ourselves for a couple of weeks. Like, what are we going to do? And, and then Alex actually came up with the idea. He is part of multiple membership groups online for various things, whether it's wine or club, whatever. I, I'm not part of any, but he is. He said, let's make a membership group for economic developers. He said, because we get asked the same questions over and over. Like we're always asked, how do we deal with our boards? How do I write a good resume? Various stuff. Like, you know, we get once a week, somebody will ask us the same question somebody else did. So he said, let's take the questions we're asked constantly and build videos off of them and create a membership uh, uh, group. And then I said, I said, I don't know if anybody will join a membership, but I think they might buy them one at a time. He said, well, let's also offer that. They can either join a membership and get them all or we'll sell them one at a time. So, so this time last year, all of April and May, we said and recorded videos. We had never done anything like that. But when I was in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, I went on the radio once a month and I had an hour spot where I told everybody what our chamber of commerce was working on. So I got used to being on the radio and I knew I was pretty good at it. So I wasn't intimidated at that or anything, but we had never done any videos. So we, we bought like a $300 little camera and a hundred dollar microphone. And then we were like, we're going to try this out to our shock. We, we've now been here a year. We now have 205 members and we have sold individual videos to over 200 people who didn't. So we've had over 400 transactions, actually more than that. Cause our members pay us every month, but you know, so we've had over 400 customers of that within the last year. Well, naturally, if you sell a board training to somebody and they then go show their board and their board likes it, next thing you know, that economic developer moves on, the board calls us and says, can y'all come do us a search? We watched y'all's video. And so we've not only grew revenue from our, our actual physical videos, but we've grown it from people meeting us through that that then hire us for other stuff it's almost been like a prospect lead generation magnet for us so it was totally alex's idea which is funny considering i'm our entrepreneurial thinker it was his idea to do it and then uh, uh so i think we launched it on june the 4th and i would tell you that was kind of a scary thing because we had pre-built the work 
well, now we do shows every week, so I got to do a show later today. But we have pre-built like 30 shows, and you push send, and, no, you know, you, you chance zero joining. <laughs> you know, we had already done the work. And I think you might have been the first one to join, so we, we always remember that. But then uh, – but it's just been a tremendous source for us, and I think it's led into other things. So if I had to guess what grew us, it was that. And then we travel – we used to kill ourselves traveling. Because I'm an in-person type person. I mean, if, if you wanted to see me, I was going to come to Galveston. Uh, one, I believe in in-person stuff. Two, I love Galveston. I mean, you know, right. but that added expense to us. It made you tired, you know, just wore you down. And so uh, I would have never, ever accepted doing all our sales meetings by Zooms and all, though Alex always said we should until this happened. And now people are so used to it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a sale in Washington state T totally by zoom and never go there. And, um, which, which in the long run saves us expense money and probably makes us more productive. That's right. I think there's a lesson there for economic developers to sort of pay attention to what you've done. I mean, would you say that it's possible for an economic developer to, you know, sort of replicate your success, um, you know, in a different field, making content, making videos, um, you know, attracting businesses and site selectors to their region. Do you know of anybody that's doing that? Has anybody followed your lead? Uh, well, you are now there in Galveston. So, uh, yes, I know that uh, Josh Tubbs up in Marshall County, Kentucky, has started his podcast show. I don't know if he's had any success with it yet, but he started it because he asked me to be on it a few months ago. And I see every week when he posts. Absolutely. If I had known now, I almost feel dumb that it took us six years in business to figure this out. I'm like, what was we doing in 2015 and 2016? Uh Yes. If I were an economic developer, I would have two podcast shows. I would have one for the local town for an internal audience where I was telling them, you know, what all we're working on. And I would push it out on Facebook and all. So our local citizens knew more about us. And I would also have one for external potential investment clients, be that corporate CEOs or site selectors. And I would try to initiate based on the targets that I was after. You know, I, I would try to make it as specific as I could. So when I was in Paducah, Kentucky, we wanted to recruit an automotive supplier. That was our big thing. There's automotive all over Kentucky, but Paducah didn't have an automotive supplier. So we wanted one. And so what I would have probably done is built a show on why all we're good for automotive suppliers, but then you mix in enough information. So it's not all about you and then try to build a following out of that. I, I would have certainly done it. And then we got into YouTube. We started with the podcast audio only. And, uh, uh, but then I read a report that YouTube was going to overtake Google as the search engine of choice by like 2023 or something, because let's say, you know, your water filter on your, on your uh, refrigerator goes out. Well, now you used to would go to Google. Well, now you'd rather go to YouTube and watch a video and you Google owns YouTube. So they don't care. So that's fine. With it. So we said, we need to really have a video presence. So we started doing videos probably about a year ago. We've been doing the podcast about three years now. And so we started doing the videos a year ago and now we'll do one and have a thousand people. We do the economic development news. We call it. We'll have a thousand people watching. It's totally for free. We're not trying to steal anybody, anything. We're just telling, but it exposes them to us. So later on they interact. So yes, if I were an economic developer, I would probably have two podcast shows and even maybe a YouTube show. And the beauty of all this is YouTube is free. We pay an, a, a third party to edit our videos, but we pay them like 20 bucks a video or something. It's not a whole lot of money. And I think for our podcast shows, you know, we pay 50, 60 bucks a month maybe. And then, you know, we had to buy all our equipment. So it's not a real expensive endeavor. 
So if you were in Paducah, who would you be interviewing? Who should, if somebody's in that same situation, they want to have a show, obviously an internal audience, the, the show for the internal audience, that makes sense, right? Talk about what they've done, have people on that have been impacted locally by that. But that, that attraction piece, that attraction podcast, who would they, who would they talk to or who would they have on their show? Because obviously what makes podcasts and videos interesting is when you're not talking about yourself, but you're talking to other people and you're letting them tell their story. Like I'm letting you tell your story now. So right, who, right. if you were in that situation, what would, you know, let's, let's flesh that out a little bit more. Sure. sure. Yeah. So I'll tell you exactly who to talk to now, according to how big your town is, is how many shows you might get end up having. See, if you're in a big, big area, you might have a show once a week. If you're in a real small town, you're going to run out of people. So you might can only have a show once a month. Maybe you just repeat those shows, you know, as you, as you market it out. So the first person I would talk to, once I had an audience, you, you, you probably wouldn't want to lead off with your first, your best, but your best is this. Well, you figure out where to put them in. If you can find an HR manager in your community who has been, uh, who has run HR for multiple facilities in different areas, and they can talk about how your area's labor is easier to find than other places. That is the best person for sure to put on it. Uh, labor's hard to find everywhere. I don't care if you're in a big city, a rural town, it is a nationwide problem. And so you don't want to ever run away from that. But if you can get an HR manager, you know, in Paducah, who says uh, prior to here, and, and you don't, you don't really say this is what we're selling. You just ask them. You just ask them questions, you know, Hey, where, where were you, where were you before here? Oh, I was HR manager in Bowling Green, Kentucky and in St. Louis, Missouri and Evansville, Indiana. And then I ended up here. And then you say, uh, well, how does this compare? And obviously if they say something bad, you don't put it in the show, but how right. does recruiting candidates here compare? You know, I know it's hard everywhere, but how does recruiting candidates here compare to these other places you've been? And if you strike gold, they'll say, believe it or not, it's easier. We have an easier time here recruiting. I was in a rural Alabama town. I won't say where it is. Uh, that also this plant has a facility in rural Alabama and near the Nashville market. Not in Nashville, but one of those suburbs. They told me they had an easier time recruiting people in rural Alabama than Nashville. Now, nobody would believe this. If, if a consultant said it, you'd think they were lying. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, Nashville's growing so much with all this other that up there, we just got so much competition in this little rural town. We're the best employer for 60 miles. And, you know, we'll, we'll get 30 good resumes here for every one we get in Nashville. It would blow your mind if the HR manager hadn't sat there and said it. So if you can get that, you're in the catbird seat. Well, then you post that out with that HR manager. Then you get them to put it on their LinkedIn. Now all their friends see it. See so in a big city, the more of those you can find, the better. You can make, you know, just one a week if you had enough of them. If you're in a small town, you're going to be lucky to find one or two. Then I would spruce in people who have left your town who've been very successful, even if they live elsewhere now. Most every town, even little towns, will have somebody who's gone on to hit it big. You know, they've started a company, they've this, they've that. I would want to interview them, talk about their company. They'll certainly do it to make it about their company, but then, you know, talk about the roots of their hometown, how they grew up, this or that. And then, you know, always interview plant managers and whatnot. If you run out of people, usually your state economic development people would do it, your utilities, your power companies. So get them on there to kind of talk about the region, um, you know, so on and so forth. So really how many shows you can do will vary based on how big you're, if you're in a little bitty town and you've only got one HR manager can do this, you might be better off doing a YouTube with them and just replicating it over and over and over. 
if you're in a big city, I would just constantly be looking to find these people because labor is a bigger deal now than it's ever been. And it's going to get even bigger. So if you can find that person, you, you've really got something. All good points. Talking about labor, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, executive searches for economic developers. You posted the other day on LinkedIn and you had a, I forget what the number was, but it was this insane number of executive searches going on. What's the job market look like right now for economic developers? Uh, yeah, I think we're doing 12 now and just added another one today. <clears throat> so we're doing 12 or 13. We're doing them in Wisconsin, Iowa, Kentucky, Missouri, two in Texas, one in Louisiana, one in Florida, and I think two in Alabama. Uh, economic developers can make more now than ever. Uh, I, it seems like there was pent up demand in the pandemic. Nobody was moving around. Cause you know, you got to sell a house. You got to, there's a lot of stuff you got to do other than your job, but it's like right now there is the pandemic's ending. If we're going to move, let's move. So, we're actually from the recruiter side, we're finding as good of, of finalist candidates as ever, but we're not getting the quantity of applicants. In other words, I'm telling communities, I can still find you the three or four best around, but don't expect 30 great resumes to come in. You might have 20 bad resumes, but yeah. So uh, we're actually having no trouble finding the right person, but it's less people willing to throw their name in a hat, which is a unique dynamic. And I have found that younger people, I think they're making a terrible mistake. I called a young person the other day. I know for a fact he's making $48,000. He's well thought of. He's, he's considered an up and cover for a job we're doing. That's going to pay 110. He didn't even want to interview with these people. And I thought, you know, he's like 26. I thought to myself, man, that $52,000, if you invest in the stock market for like five years and never add to it again, you're going to have $3 million when you're 60. <laughs> I don't even, the young people, it's like they want the perfect job or they won't even interview. Well, I own my company and I don't have a perfect job. It's stuff I don't want to do. Like there is no such thing as a perfect job. But these young people, if it doesn't check all 20 boxes, if it checks 19 out of 20, they don't even want to go interview. So I, I think they're making a mistake. But Economic developers, if you're willing to move, you can probably make more money now than ever because uh, there are less people that will throw their name in the hat. You'll still have stiff competition, but you'll have an easier time getting to the finalist interview. And then I tell economic developers, once you get to that, that's on you. I mean, that's on you to produce because uh, in reality right now, we're seeing less, less what I would consider you know, mid-level people trying to get in. I don't know if they don't have the confidence if, if the uh, the COVID stopped them, but if you're a good economic developer and you throw your name in the hat, you're probably going to be a finalist for any of our searches. That don't mean you're going to get the job, but you can get yourself to the finalist, then it's up to you. And so our searches right now are ranging from 250000 in pay. Um, of the 12 we're doing, 11 pay over 100000 We're doing one that pays seventy five in a small West Virginia town. So for there, we're kind of looking for a young up-and-comer. But all the 11 other ones we're doing are all over 100, and several are over 200. And so uh, I think it is a fine time for economic developers that are, particularly if they're that 75, 80,000 range, to go out and double their pay. And a lot of these cities and counties are getting stimulus money, so they want somebody with expertise to help them guide that. Uh, so I think that market's going to continue. We've got more RFPs out now, so I think it's just going to keep going for us. But but yeah, we're doing a small one in Iowa that's going to pay one fifty, just as an example. So every now and then I run into economic developers that you know say, uh, "How do you, how do you break through the hundred thousand dollar range?" I'm just like, "Go apply for the job." 
Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't overthink it. Go apply for the job and get interviewing experience. Interviewing is a skill, no different than flying an airplane. Like you got to learn it. The other, you know, what I'll tell the young people, they'll say they won't even interview like the gentleman I was talking about. He wants to wait for his perfect job. Well, guess what? When the perfect job comes along, he's probably going to blow the interview because he has not been in enough of them. You see, you want to get yourself a little experience. But the reason I was really successful is I got my start in Mobile, Alabama as a grunt worker, $40,000. In uh, Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, a little rural town about an hour and a half south of Nashville was doing a search. And they wanted a young up-and-comer. And they contacted me and got me to come to town and visit. And uh, I went. And I really, it was cold the day I went. It was it was December or November, cold and rainy. And I was living in Mobile on the Gulf. And I, I just didn't like it. I liked the people, but I didn't like the town. And I, they had said they were going to pay 75. And, but so I rode up there and I, I got an hour down the road and they called me. They said, listen, we want to offer you this job. And I said, y'all are very kind people and I want to remain friends, but it's just not for me. I was like 26. They said, uh, no, we're going to, no, we're going to hire, you know, we're going to hire you. Uh, what would you like? And I should have, I should have said like 200, I guess, but it just uh, top of my head. I always thought a hundred thousand was a lot of money. I was raised poor. I said, a hundred thousand. They said, deal. <laughs> so I got hired just like, <laughs> so this job that they had advertised for 75, they paid me a hundred because they liked me so much. And, and this is what I tell, especially the young people go interview. If you don't want the job, you can turn it down. But if they like you at a hundred and you really want one twenty, you can probably get a little more, you know, as you get into that. And so, um, that, so I went there two years later, Paducah, Kentucky did the same thing. They contact me. And, uh, so I was making around a hundred and, you know, they said, uh, come visit with us. This or that I did. They called me, said, we want to offer you the job at 125. I said, 125, I'm making a hundred in Tennessee and I don't have to pay state income taxes down here. I'm like, I'm not interested. And they said, well, what would it take here again? I, I probably lowballed my own self and I just spit out 160. They said, okay, deal. I should have said 200 probably. Said twice this worked for me. Before I left Paducah, they had raised my pay to 250. See, I started at 160. They had raised my pay to 250. So I also tell the young people, take the job at 80 or 100. If you're making 30 or 40 now, do a good job. They will raise your pay. I mean, I got a $90,000 pay raise while I was there. Uh, not all at once. You know, I got it incrementally. Uh, so, um, for economic developers that want to make the money, if you're not making it, it's your own fault. That, that's really the advice I have. That's fantastic advice. Um, do you think economic developers should uh, stay in a region or should they move around? Should they, you know, they're in, they're in, they're on the Gulf. Should they take a job in the Northeast or the Northwest? Um, I would. Well, I guess it's according to their aspirations. So I kind of knew I always wanted to own my own business. Of course, I'm as Southern as it gets, as my accent will, will indicate. So I never really thought about regional, but I wanted to do it in different states. I wanted to make sure I knew people in more than one state. So I already knew everybody in Mississippi. That's where I'm from. Uh, uh, so I knew everybody in Mobile. I had worked in Mobile. So part of my strategy was uh, I need to meet people in other states. So that's why I took the Tennessee job. You know, they paid me what I said, but that's why I wouldn't have probably, if that job had been Alabama, I might not have took it. But I said, I need to meet everybody in Tennessee. And then when the Kentucky one came along, I was interested in that. I said, well, that's going to give me now. Now I'm going to know everybody in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. And so I did that. And sure enough, I did. You know, I met all of them. So, I, yes, I would, if I had it do over again, now especially building a business, I would have probably took a job 
out west during the northeast to meet everybody because when we started next move group i had a base of people in four states to sell to i mean that's what i had uh and in paducah i had called on 300 companies a year cold call trying to talk them into coming to paducah so i would go to like detroit and see 10 different companies it wasn't a true cold call i paid a lead generation firm to set me meetings so it was like a lukewarm call so I had all those people I had met. So I really had two sources to start our business. I had the 300 companies I'd met, many of which liked me, but didn't want to come to Paducah. And I had every economic developer I knew in Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Kentucky. So the first year, that's pretty much all the business we did. It took us a while to get our name out. You know, now we do business all over. And, uh, and two, I was so Southern, I never really... Uh, I didn't know if I would be well received in New England or in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming or in Washington state. Uh, And uh, frankly, I probably didn't know that until we started this podcast show. Uh, But now like I'll have people call me and they'll say, can I just hear you talk? I'll be like, where are you from? Sacramento, California. I just want to listen to you. So, so looking back, if I had done that, it would have really worked for me. So I, it was very much my strategy to work in different States. I for sure recommend that. And even today, I'll go to Mobile where I got my start and, and my mentors who, who still, I think are the best in the world. I'll say, uh, Oh, y'all know so-and-so in Florida, which is like 50 miles from Mobile. And they won't know them. They'll know everybody in Alabama and, but they'll know nobody in Florida or Georgia. And then, you know, I actually did that and it occurred to me, I'm like, gosh, I now know everybody because I've moved around a little bit. So it certainly worked for me. Excellent advice. I, uh, you know, I got this job in Galveston. I mean, you led the search, but I was in California and I went to um, University of Oklahoma's EDI program. And I think I was in, where did we go? Did the classes in Florida. And then I did the f- classes in Fort Worth. And I made it a point when I was at those uh, classes to go out to dinner with, with people that were in different states. I know I went out, I went out to dinner one night with the, the whole contingent from um, Alabama and I told my wife, you know, I called her up and said, you know, I went out to dinner with these guys from Alabama. And she's like, what are you doing that for? You know, we're not moving to Alabama. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how it works. You got to know people. Oh, you got to meet people. You're 100% right. And it's interesting now. So we built our business first with customers from those states because I knew people. But there were certain customers in those states that wouldn't buy from us, even though they were nice because it was almost like we hadn't proven ourselves. And maybe we were too local, if that makes right. sense. I never got mad at them, but I was just like, these people don't go by. They are buying from us now. Cause it's like, now they're like, well, you know, they're good enough. Now they're good enough now for everybody. Maybe, maybe we need to, you know, so uh, it, that's the funny thing about business. The more you do it, you'll eventually kind of validate yourself and you'll end up having people hire you. We just got hired for a search that another firm did two years ago. We finished second on and the person's already left. They called us said, we, we like y'all, you know, Y'all finished second last. They didn't even ask us really to compete. They just come and hired us. And so that's the funny thing with business is as you grow your brand nationwide, your local people will respect you more then because now they're not just doing business with you because you're a good old local boy. They're doing it because you've actually proven yourself. Right. Nobody's a prophet in their own hometown. It's only when people from elsewhere are calling you uh, something special that you're the locals begin to take notice. I guess that's, that's why you hire a economic development consultant to come in and tell your board exactly the same thing that you've been telling them, you know, for years, they need to hear it from somebody else that's outside. 
That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think our board trainings work well because by now we've probably done a hundred economic development executive searches from coast to coast. I mean, we've literally done them from Kenny Beck, Maine to Kenny Wick, Washington. I mean, those are our extremes. Um, so we now have, we've done it enough that we hear the same things over and over. So we're able to really be able to tell a board if they're saying something, you know, this, every town faces this. Why is my economic developer so confidential? We hear that every time. I can show them why. I mean, I can, I can show them literally where uh, publicly traded stock laws will prohibit a company from discussing expansions. I mean, I can show them laws that cause that. So I can tell them, you know, if that's your concern, all other hundred clients I've had had it. So don't worry about it. Versus, you know, they have something I've never heard before. Then I said, well, you know, that, that is unique <laughs> to your community. So maybe, maybe you do need to figure out how to, how to fix that. So the, the board trainings we do, I very much try to, to try to let them know kind of what's par for the course. This is, this is, this is the board's role and these are problems we see everywhere. So if all of a sudden, you know, you don't feel your economic developer shared enough information, maybe you just need to get over it. Cause this is, you know, we see this everywhere versus, you know, here's things that, that you probably really want to think about as a board. All good advice. Good advice. So Chad, when you're not working, what do you do? What, you know, what do you do in your time off? Yeah, well, I am a huge sports fan. So I mean, pre COVID, I was always at something and the, the, the beauty of this business, um, and this was good for us, even before we kind of started making any money, uh, uh, you get invited if you're an economic development, especially on the site selection side, we get invited to the masters and the Kentucky Derby and the final four and, and all this stuff that I'm a huge sports fan that I, I used to pinch myself and like 2015, we hadn't even made it yet. And, you know, I'm getting invited to the masters with all these elite consult. I almost fell out of place. Now I feel perfectly in place. Don't worry anymore. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and so, uh, but in New Orleans is a big sports town. You know, we got an NBA team here. We have lots of college stuff. We have, you know, all kind of, it's New Orleans Saints. Um, also, I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. We got office in St. Louis. So for opening day, I go up for that. I go up if they have a big Cubs series or uh, playoffs. So St. Louis is also a big town. They got the hockey. I go to the Stanley Cup. So uh, I'm a huge sports fan and our family's very close. Uh, I've got a brother and a niece and nephew that are all located in the Hattiesburg area, which is only about an hour and a half of New Orleans. And so, you know, we get together a whole lot. So a lot of my life revolved around that. And then, you know, during the COVID, there was no live events to go to. And so I've almost become more of a couch potato watching the games. I got to get myself back out, you know, going to all that. But my brother, and uh, I guess it was February, I was home for, uh, I was home for uh, my birthday. And I, none of my family are business people. So they're like intrigued with what I do. You know, just the whole concept. So they're always, how's the business going after that? And I was up there and my brother asked me how, you know, how it's going. And I said, oh, it's going good. But I said, I'm kind of bored. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I'm just kind of bored. I said, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting bored. I don't like doing the same thing every day. And I feel like in the business, we're doing the same thing every day. So it's, it's successful where I'm getting a little bored. I was like, I, I got to get myself out of this. And he called me back that night. He said, I've been thinking. He said, you're not bored with the business. He said, you're bored socially because you used to go to every event, you know, you, you know, you, and, and you've been stuck at home for a year. He was like, get yourself out of that. Wait till the COVID ends and then decide if you're bored or not. He's like, he, he's older than me. So he likes to kind of tell me how he, he's like, get yourself snap out of it. You know? <laughs> and I did, I did. I was like, that's probably good advice. And so then, um, 
we got invited to the SEC basketball tournament in March. So I flew up to Nashville for that. That was the first event. I had had my one shot at that time, and I flew up for that. And uh, I was like, you know, maybe he was right. I hadn't been bored now in the last three months because I've been going and doing. So that's helped me a whole lot. But when you live in New Orleans, it is always something to do before the COVID hit. I mean, fest. I love music, festivals, music. You know, it's all right here. So, I, you know, before the COVID hit, I was doing something every night. So that's probably why it was so hard to do. And I interviewed Quentin Messer on my show. I don't know if you know him. He runs the New Orleans Business Alliance. And um, he said he thought that COVID had hit the spirit of New Orleans harder than any other town. And the spirit, not just the health. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, New Orleans people, I mean, we like to hug and get in your face and eat together. And we do. I mean, that's what you do over here. And and you couldn't do any of that. It, it stopped the whole connection. And so I think uh, what's going to be really fun is as the pandemic ends, the mayor yesterday sent an email out that now if you had proved, if you could prove you had your vaccine, you didn't have to wear your mask, the saints could be a hundred percent. The, the uh, music halls could be a hundred percent. So I think it's going to be real fun seeing this place all come back together at once. Well, I think that's going to be true regardless where you are. Um, I think that, I think that we're in for uh, quite a, a year after this it's there's, yeah, a, there's a lot so. of pent-up demand for everything i hope so yeah well chad it's been great talking to you today i really appreciate uh you coming on um coming on today if anybody wants to get in contact with you what's the best way to do that what's the best way to reach out uh so you can find us on our website at the that's t-h-e nextmovegroup.com i wish it wasn't that complicated but nextmovegroup.com was bought and with my accent people are always like what did you say so it's the nextmovegroup.com. My email is chad at the nextmovegroup.com. So you can find me there. And my cell number is 504-648-7716. Best way to get a hold of me is to text me. Fantastic. Let's see how many unopened emails I have. This always drives my staff. I got 1,267 unopened emails right now. It drives my staff crazy. And I, I, I can't even keep up with my voicemails. But if you text me, I, I will text you back, honestly. That's the best way. So uh, if you text 504-648-7716, you'll get a text back. And then uh, we do a Mardi Gras event every two years. I think you came to our last one where we invite all our clients and customers, and we'll have manufacturers here and site selectors here. So we couldn't do it last year. Uh, we're 99% going to do it next year. We haven't made the official call because we don't want to get out here and you know spend money on a hotel and then something else happened. But um, chances are we're going to do it again. We'll be making that decision in June. So Y'all are welcome to come down and meet our whole team in person. And then uh, I got to tell people how much I love Galveston. I know that, you know, that's not the purpose of this show, but I'm telling y'all I could live down a heartbeat. I love to play. It, it, it'll remind you a little of New Orleans. Um, but, you know, the beauty of Galveston County, you got everything. You've got the neighborhood. You've got the, you know, places with tremendous housing. You've got all the outdoor stuff. Then you've got rural communities. And then you've got Galveston. I love the Galveston Island myself. Uh, I used to look for reasons to go over there. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have to be in Victoria soon, and I'm not going to fly. I'm going to drive and spend a day or two in Galveston and head over, so I'll have to look you up. But for the people Absolutely. out there listening, I'm telling you all right now, you will love Galveston, Texas. I lived in the woodlands in college, which is north of Houston, and frankly did not like it. Uh, but I love Gal. If I had discovered Galveston back then, I would have liked it a lot better. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't really care for the woodlands, but I had never been to Galveston. And then I went over there before we even hired you probably like seven years ago and, and, uh, and just loved it. And so now I try to get over there every chance I get. Well, next time you're in Galveston, we'll have lunch or dinner or something. And we always love having you. and We always love talking to you. So 
Thank you very much, Chad. And, All right. Uh, thank you. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 